Satish, this conversation was actually very close to my heart. Eugenia is an amazing person. She was quite vulnerable on our episode in terms of sharing some of the life stories and also what's driving her, the love from mom, the sacrifices that her mom made. She's achieved amazing things. As we said on the podcast, she has a following base that's the size of countries. That's how influential she is. And yet she's so down to earth and a whole premise is built on giving. Everything that Eugenia does is about giving. And we need to learn from that. We all pursuing, um, well, we're all in our own little bubble. But at the end of the day, if we actually stop focusing on ourselves and start focusing on giving, we are all going to succeed and we're all going to be successful. And she is an absolute testament to that. I became quite emotional during this episode because some of the things that she said had struck a chord with me. And yeah, I, I just think that this, it's a brilliant episode for people to listen to and understand the importance of not only giving, but also being vulnerable. So I welcome our guests or our, our listeners to subscribe, to listen, to follow us. Welcome to Year One, hosted by me, Dio Klopis, and my good friend, Satish Bala. On Year One, we speak to early stage founders, business owners, and entrepreneurs about the highs and lows of the early years, the challenges and rewards, and everything else in between. So without any further ado, Let's get into this week's conversation. Eugenia, welcome to year one. Satish and I are so thrilled to be talking to you. You are a senior leader. You're an author. You're a speaker. You're an inventor. You're a founding member of a network. And I'm just curious, Eugenia, can you share two or three significant events in your life that has taken you down this path of being so driven, so focused, and so committed? Wow, that is a wonderful question. I think the first event is my mom. I grew up in Russian communist Russia, and it was a single parent household struggling. My mom was a secretary, but she scraped enough money to send me after I graduated from college and master's in teaching to Canada. So her sacrificing for me so I could have a better life inspired my journey and made me feel that I need to become successful to make my mama proud. Oh, wow. Wow. Can I ask a question? Yes, of course. As you're talking, I'm South Asian. I'm from, you know, one of probably the most academic cultures in the world. And you're born into a blueprint already made for you. And I didn't want to make them proud. I didn't know how to recognize their sacrifice. They went from little village in India to Singapore to Canada. And I always thought of it until I got much older mm -hmm. as a pressure for success. I'm like, why didn't you leave me in India? Who the hell said I wanted to have a better life? Why did you have to make me go through all these things when I didn't choose it? So I resisted that gift until much day later in life. Now I'm on a mission that I can't describe yet, but I know how it feels. But how did you interpret it in the early days to how you explained it now? Was it always 
the same. So I guess when we become older, Satish, we become wiser. And I'm in my, you know, 50s, early 50s. And my mom been gone for 11 years. So I see those sacrifices and I connect with them more now. But back then, when I was 24 years old and my mom was scraping enough money for me to immigrate to Canada, I knew I didn't want to stay in Russia. So it was an opportunity for me. I didn't know how hard it was going to be, but I was grateful. I didn't realize the sacrifices she made because, and I don't want to cry, but if my mom had the opportunities she gave to me, I don't know where she would be. And 20 years, 27 years later, I know, I understand that sacrifice. Back then, yeah. I just wanted to get out. So I was grateful that she gave me the opportunity. She spawned, well, scraped enough money. But now I know that there's so many opportunities I wish she could have had. Yeah, it's, it's thank you for sharing that. My dad was a villain in my story for the longest time until he passed away about 10 years ago. And I think it was in his absence and missing a villain that I realized he was actually my champion. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful moment, especially as immigrant kids. I'm in my late 40s and now I got two kids. and I look at them and I go, oh my gosh, like you guys don't even know what sacrifice means. I got a taste of it, but I didn't really sacrifice anything. I just got to get on a plane and then land. So I never missed a meal. We weren't wealthy, but I was okay. And so, you know, the reason I was intrigued in this is, you know, and this, especially the last 10 years after I sold my last company and now I'm on this mission to democratize access to education, which I don't even know how yet. But I think a lot about little people and how they perceive the world and how as now grownups, we have an opportunity to influence them, not from a sacrifice perspective, but optimism and hope. And so, you know, we didn't get a chance to talk about your book yet, but I do want to dive into Unlimited a little bit and from what I read, but to piggyback off of Dion, what you're doing today, is that kind of what you imagined? No. What was the I, path like? Absolutely. So I think you brought up a really good point. I'm an ordinary person and I was lucky. I realized early on that I, I was an ordinary person. So the only way for me to make this world better is one person at a time, helping one person at a time, inspiring one person at a time. So I can build an army. I can build a movement. And that's how the book was born. This is how I'm doing it with many aspects of my life, one person at a time. So just talking about this one person at a time, Eugenia, we can't help but notice that you have in excess of 30,000 followers on LinkedIn. Satish and I were having a comment a little bit earlier. I think you've almost got the equivalent of the population of what country was that, Satish? Monaco. You're a thousand you people Thank away from, from beating their population size. This one person at a time has obviously built you a community of 30, 30 odd thousand people, right? And 
what is your intent with this community that you build? What are you trying to change? If you don't mind. And the reason I'm asking that question, we had an, a, a guest not so long ago and she started this one plus one movement. And the whole idea is to encourage people to sacrifice 1% of their earnings or 1% of their profit or something and change the world. Right. And she's starting quite small. She doesn't have a network like you've got. So when you started out, you, you wanted to, as a tribute to your mom, you put everything in there to go out and show the gratitude that you've got for the sacrifices that she's made. Now you've got this audience behind you. What are you trying to change or what change are you trying to drive? Wow. So I believe in giving to my followers and my network. So this this wonderful book by Adam Grant, Givers and Takers, I believe in giving, giving, giving without expecting anything in return. Giving it's either, you know, technical information to my technical followers or inspirational to my younger followers or to my chief network, giving them an opportunity to engage with my followers. I spotlight on Saturday, I spotlight some amazing women in my network. And the reason I took this giving approach to the network is because I want to make sure that all voices are heard, all diverse voices are heard. It's unheard of, girl from Russia, starting as a receptionist in the industry, working her way up to the CMO. So, because I did it, I even wrote the book, anyone can do it. So, by showcasing stories, by giving people call to action, I want to make sure that people, number one, spotlight diverse voices, number two, sponsor at their company's diverse voices, because it, all it takes is to mention one person's name in the room and give them an opportunity to advance. And number three is to support, support one another. You were saying before the you know, podcast, and the saying came to mind, success is not a pie. There's enough to go around. If someone takes a slice, so if you give someone a slice, it's, you know, it's not going to end. So that's the third one is when they see me giving, I hope that they will give as generously to their network as well. And we all can succeed. So going through the ranks of probably one of the hardest things for anybody to play with, and then you add the complexity of being women in business moving up the ladder and, you know, we're all in a similar age group. So we know what the dark days were like with equality and equity. How did you fight? Are you, what are some of the characteristics? How did you get up in the morning and, and face adversity? What does the self-talk look like? How did you keep yourself motivated to move up and at the same time share along the way? Another great question. I'm going to answer it with two things. Number one is I always asked myself and other people that 
were giving me challenges in my climb. I always asked, why not me? I have an education. I have two degrees. I'm smart. I'm willing to work hard. Why not me? Is it because I was not born in this country? Is it because I'm a female? But why not me? Why do you have a seat at the table? And I'm just as smart as you are. So that's number one. And I encourage everyone to go and ask that question because these people don't know how to answer that question. And number mm -hmm. two is having a sponsor and sponsors, mentors, and supporters in your corner. You cannot do it alone. And my biggest sponsor was the CEO where I started as a receptionist 22 years ago, a wonderful Indian man named Ashtahog, absolutely amazing. And he saw a fire in my belly. And when I wanted to move from being his chief of staff into marketing, he supported me wholeheartedly. For that day, I'm very grateful to Ash that winter day when I stormed in his office and I said, there's a job in marketing and I want to transfer. And I was so scared. And the only thing he did, he got up from his desk, came up to me, gave me a big hug, and he said, I cannot hold you from growing. Go out there. I know. I, I, wow. Yes. Yes. Genius. So I'm shipping this book to him. I'm so because if it weren't for him, so my mom and Ash and my husband, three people that actually made an impact on my life. Such an incredible feeling to have somebody in your corner. You know? I've alluded to that on a previous podcast as well. My opportunity also came because someone believed in me. I didn't have the expertise at that point in time, but I had the desire. And he saw the potential in me. And I will never forget it. You know, I went to him as well and I said, give me this opportunity. There's no one else in the company. And he said, I'm willing to back you. And that took my, my life on completely a different journey. And we don't appreciate that at times. People don't understand that by just being a little bit open, by just taking the gamble, by betting on someone, you change that person's life forever. Uh, we so, we so quick to shut people down. No, you don't have the skills. Why are you wasting your time? But we must just start betting on people. And, and, and as I say, you know, yeah, that, that just completely resonates with me because oh. I had a similar type of experience. But, but I'm curious, Eugene, what I'm fascinated about is this community that you've built, right? So us as early stage founders, there's a lot of talk about you need your net worth. Your net work is your net worth. And it's important that you build out this community, that you build out a following, that you focus on a personal brand and things like that, right? How did you go out and build this network that you have access to today? By giving. So absolutely. It was a conscious decision. I, Sorry, was I, it a conscious thing that you actually did? I, I don't know. I, I'm a giver by nature. There was one person that reached out to me either, yes, on LinkedIn. 
And the person said that in 2003, 2003, 20 years ago, when I was a receptionist and he was a young engineer from India, he came to the U.S. and he wanted to go see New York and he didn't have a credit card. And he was talking to me how he wants to go and see New York City. And I said, okay, let me buy you a ticket. So I bought him apparently a ticket, round trip bus ticket, and I gave him money to go and, you know, see New York City. I don't even remember. But apparently I put such a huge deposit in his bank that 20 years later, he reached out to me on LinkedIn and said, you know, I'm a big CTO now and you and your colleagues, you know, they're going through a big layoff. How can I help you? Unbelievable. Wow. And I, it, to me, it was, you know, you want to go see New York? It's 30 bucks. I have 30, you know, bucks. I can't afford it. Here's a bus ticket. Wow. It's these, um, my mom calls it uh, uh, the invisible ripples. You know, I used to talk to her all the time when I was growing up. I said, you know, how, how can I keep giving if I don't see it? And, and she said, listen, you know, I'm an immigrant woman. I pulled out of school because I was ready to be married. I married your dad. And since then, I've really had no other way to look at my life other than every one of my actions is a little pebble into a lake. And for a split second, I can see the ripples. Then it's gone. But it doesn't mean the ripples are not happening. And that changed my life forever. I'm like, wow, such a profound, simple visual on understanding the everlasting impact. And when I look at sort of what you're trying to do with the book and even the community that you've built, 1% is going to change the world. And you don't know who that person is. You don't know what comment, what chapter, what moment what podcast, but the point is we got to keep throwing pebbles into the lake. You know, that's kind of, you know, and that's, that's exactly what Deanna and I doing with, with this education business. We, we, we fundamentally believe young people are being labeled too quickly because of an education system that doesn't know how to recognize the uniqueness of every child. You know, the reason I talked about your book and, you know, I'm going to order it and I'm going to read it. But the little sample that I saw, the most profound thing, and, and I was just talking to this with my kids, this notion of stepping out of line. And I'm working on a blog that talks about it where we have an education system that wants everybody to be in line. And the minute the individual kid comes out of line, we quickly label them. You're OCD, you're ADHD, you're extrovert, you're this, you're that. Both of my kids have 10,000 different labels from a system and the answer to that is fall back in line. At what cost? And this is what thought in my head when I, when I opened up a sample. And the opening paragraph was this powerful Holocaust story. And the closing line is step out of line. I'm like, ooh, Gina is my new best friend. When you hear this inspiration, and a lot of the people we meet are inspired, but the momentum is not there. Because like anything, it dissolves. It's the sugar highs, the, it's the high. I'm going to read your book and get pumped. Somebody's going to listen to this podcast and pump. Just the way you probably had some amazing mentors that pumped you up. How do you sustain it in actions? How do you consciously go, ooh, this is a lifestyle I'm going to build around giving and sharing and sustaining this belief system and not just the little pebble. I did it. I, I paid for a ticket. I'm good. So that takes 
personal accountability because this book came to me, the idea came to me probably two, three years ago. And until I sat down last year and I said, I'm going to write it. And I joined the Creator Institute. It's a program at Georgetown University with New Degree Press. And I worked with them on deadlines and timelines, and I held myself accountable. The book wouldn't have been born if I didn't hold myself accountable. What helps is creating a plan. So I always tell people that I mentor, and I actually have as an, I have an example of a plan in my book, is to create a plan for all of your roles. So for me, that would be, you know, an author that's trying to make a difference, building, you know, courses around my book, CMO, mom, dog mom, wife. So all those roles, because if you try to do everything in one role, then you're going to resent it. Because if you spend 16 hours a day, 17 hours a day building your business, you're going to start resenting it. So holding yourself accountable with small steps. Because if you put on a plan, you know, month one, build a successful business. Not going to happen, right? So treat year one every year as year one. Month one as month, month one. Have the same passion and excitement. Assign KPIs. So have the objectives on a monthly basis, assign KPIs, and follow through them. And consistency is a magical word. Because if you do make one step every day, at the end of the year, you made 360 four or five steps. Boom. There's no magic in numbers. I love that. I love that. Dion, that's the discipline we need, my guy. We've been <laughs> talking about getting our videos out for three months now. We just got to get the first one out and forget it and then do the second one. It's, it might think think like not be perfect, I... gentlemen, right? Might not, but just get it out. Get it out. I want to add just one thing to that, though, and I agree with you. Consistency is absolutely key in every way that you look. If you're looking at self-help books, if you're following some influences and things, it's about the consistency. It's about that making yourself 1% better every single day or challenging yourself. But the other thing that we mustn't lose sight of, though, is you mustn't be too hard on yourself. Especially if you, if you haven't practiced consistency on a regular basis, you run the risk of when you don't do it, you start seeing yourself as a failure. As opposed to I'm going through and I'm transforming and therefore this is a journey and I mustn't be that hard on myself. If I fail on one particular day, it's acceptable. It's a new thing to you. Just try tomorrow again. But otherwise we build up that pressure that if I don't do it every single day, I'm actually not worthy. I'm weak. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and that's, I think that's just the one thing around consistency that we mustn't lose sight of. You must be kind to yourself during that journey. Now, the one thing yeah. I would like to find out a little bit more about you, Gina, is Chief. Can you tell us about Chief and why you've started Chief? 
So I left Chief in January because to launch the book. Okay. So, but I was one of the founding members in of the Boston chapter, and we built the community to eight hundred people. But the magic of Chief, though I left Chief, I didn't leave Chiefs, and Chiefs didn't leave me. So I actually recently started with the other two chief alumni. We started a LinkedIn group on for alumni of chief, because once a chief is always a chief. And the purpose of the network was to, and is, to support one another. Because the magic happens when women support other women. And as a fellow immigrant and former Secretary of State, Madeleine Bright said, there's a special place in hell for women that don't help other women. I've never heard that until 10 seconds ago. Wow. That is so powerful, man. So don't be a girl that's going to go to hell because you think success is a pie. So, and that's why Chief is an amazing network. Chief Alumni is an amazing network. Half of my community from chief members, they even comment on my, you know, telecom post. I comment on their industry post because we are here to support one another and create that ripple effect. I'll tell you why I asked about chief, right? Because at this point in time, there are so many networking groups that you can join. There are so many communities that you can join. And there are so many that are starting up overnight. What, in your opinion, makes a networking group or community successful? And the reason I'm asking that, as I said, is because there's so many, that sort of, even we, from a year one perspective, we said, you know, we've got this startup community. Should, or we talking to early stage founders. Should we start a startup community? But the reality is they're a dime a dozen. So, so what is that secret source to get these networking groups or communities to actually work from your perspective? Third time, I'm going to repeat it, gentlemen. It's giving. It's bringing people together with the giving mindset. Because community is only as strong as the willingness of its members to give to one another. I agree with you, okay? And I subscribe to that. But if there's any, the, the, the idea is that you have to create an environment where everyone is willing to give, right? Otherwise, you're going to have one person that's disproportionately giving and other people don't engage. So then maybe I'll turn the question around. How do you change that, that, Everyone develops this giving spirit. You influence them. So you influence them to help out, to get engaged, because you never know why people don't engage. And there might be reasons like Dion, you were saying, people might not feel good about themselves. They might think their advice is not valuable. So creating environment of psychological safety in the community. Everyone's opinion is welcome. Everyone's advice is welcome. It will help because people like to help, but there are barriers. 
So removing those barriers will help people to get engaged. I love that, you know, and, and I faced that quite a bit in my post-agency sale. I sold the company and then all of a sudden I'm pulled into all of these incubators and accelerators and startup communities and everybody wants something. They want knowledge. They want to do what I did in 25 years and two years. And for a while, I was like, rah, here's everything. And then I'm so exhausted because I'm constantly fire hydring everybody. Then I was like, ooh. I went the opposite and I shut down. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. I need to figure out a different balance because I'm just this massive open book. And I've yet to learn, to be honest, Eugenia, how to find a balance. It's all in or nothing for me. And I'm learning, is there a middle ground? So balance is the right word, but it goes, balance goes with another B word, which is boundaries. So you were breaking boundaries, not with the community, but you were breaking boundaries with yourself. Very good point. Very good point. I love that. We definitely could use some mentoring along the way as Diana and I build out this, this community that we, we imagine one day. I want to switch topics a little bit because you, you've seen the world and you're now helping build a new world. I want to get to know a little bit about the telecom business, and I'm super interested in the digital divide and access and online and all these things. But as we slowly or maybe forcefully get pulled into the AI economy and things are changing a little bit, from your perspective, sitting from a tech perspective, from a community perspective, what is exciting you about this AI economy? And maybe what could be a little scary from a, from a humanization, like, are we losing a bit of who we are in exchange for information at the fingertips that came from relationships now? Good question. A couple of weeks ago, I posted a story about my son. Three or four months ago, I was experimenting with mid-journey and I couldn't figure out the prompts. So I asked my 18-year-old to help me out. And he came to me, he looked at my screen and he said, Mom, I'll help you, but did you realize that mid-journey violates copyright copyright for many of the artists because it scrapes the internet, it pulls the images, doesn't give any of the artists any credit. And I didn't realize because to me, it was playing with some new technology. So my son was teaching me ethical use of AI. So I realized that we need to do a little bit more in protecting the creators, especially with images. But the other way to use AI, like chat GPT, is to be more productive. So putting some prompts and giving some quick prompts back or taking raw material some ideas and saying, please help me shape that content. AI is a tool. It's a, I have sometimes wonderful conversation with it. Me too. Me too. And it's helpful. Like it's not going to write you a novel. It's not Tolstoy or Hemingway, but it can help you become more efficient. So there's a prompt you can use. You can ask, chat GPT to help you create posts in a table format 
for Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, give it a whole bunch of content, the right hashtags, and it will build you tables. Boom. As, as a business owner, you saved yourself a whole bunch of time. You can even ask to suggest some proposed images. So you take the table, table, you copy and paste, and then you use a tool like any social media scheduling tool to optimize your marketing activities. So you, you, it's your content. It just build out in a table. So instead of you spending hours developing the table, AI build you a table, promotional content table, and you can do and work on strategic stuff. That's the key word. I think when I was trying to explain to our team, we went through a phase of just work becoming the most important part of it. Everybody just did stuff. Canva did this and cloud this, this, and everything was just doing work because the tools were there. And now we get a chance to step back and go, ooh, what is the strategy around what I'm doing? What is the thinking? What's the critical thinking? What's the impact? What's the giving? What's the taking? And we still have time to do stuff because these tools make it a little bit easier to function. And, you know, my kids, they're going to grow up into a world where me asking Siri for something is outdated. Like, what? You talk to a thing called Siri? I don't understand that. I was on the treadmill just digressing a little. I just came back from a Web3 conference and I had a whole bunch of questions in my head that my grown-up version wasn't comfortable asking some strangers on the trade floor. I'm like, what's the DAO? What's this? What's... So then I was on my treadmill. I was like, let me just talk to ChatGPT. And we had a 45-minute conversation around Web3, DAO, how to, how to build blockchain around purposeful giving. And it was a whole, and at one point I forgot that I'm typing into this thing on a treadmill, having a conversation about the future with a product. And it was scary, but it's also the most amazing thing I've tried this year. You know, so when you look at like the book that you've written, can you imagine now that book and all of the other categories in that book get fed? And that becomes a point of conversation. And we get to go, let me know what Eugenia will do in this situation based on her profile, her content, her blogs in the future. And is that what we are now prepping our kids for? That we get to leave behind our thinking long after we're gone because we're able to train models on how to teach or Dion and Eugenia would think. And it's a, I find the whole thing fascinating. And I'm sure as you're mentoring young people, they're probably wondering, where do I fit in now? That's so profound. I do mentor young people. And one of them is a young um, high school student. And she's a writer. So and what she told me is... Chat GPT can help me rewrite things, but Chat GPT cannot write them for me. Chat GPT doesn't have creativity that I have. That's the soul. That's the thing that machines can never take. Now I'm fascinated, man. Dion, should we get to the confessions? Absolutely. I was actually just going to say we're at that point in the podcast, Eugenia, where you know, we all know, well, the guests that we speak to are really inspirational people. 
right? But the reality is, doesn't matter how optimistic you are, doesn't matter how your business is doing, doesn't matter how you're progressing or changing as a person, you always have those dark moments. You always have those things that keep you awake at night. You always have those things that worry you. So, and the reason we ask this question is not necessarily to come up with a solution. That's not what we, we're not trained psychologists, psychiatrists, anything like that, but it's just so that people understand. It doesn't matter where you are in your life and on your journey, there are certain things that keep you awake at night. Are you willing to share with us what are those fears that keep you awake at night related to your business, related to your future or anything like that? And nine out of 10 times, somebody goes, ooh, Eugenia has that concern and I do, and I'm nowhere close to where she is. Yeah. I feel a little better that, that my life is okay too. It gives people a chance to exhale. I think many of your listeners will probably relate with imposter syndrome. So every time I share on LinkedIn or in a podcast parts of my life that I'm not, I feel sensitive about i was in a, my first marriage was very abusive so and it's hard to share because for the longest time i believe that executive women they don't get themselves in those type of situations and that marriage is gone i got a divorce in 2007 but it's still something that every time i bring up i'm like oh my god are they going to judge me so we're all afraid of being judged and I take that step always to share something very personable and vulnerable because when I do that, it gives others an opportunity to share, be vulnerable, courageous, and take the chance. And imposter syndrome, every time I ask myself, is it going to be, you know, good? Is it going to be smart? Is it going to be what people are going to say? So we all have those doubts. But the difference between me and somebody else is I take the chance. And if someone says, oh my God, that was a stupid post or that was something, that number one, they're not my people because I want to be surrounded with people that are going to lift me up. And number two, I have a list of accomplishments in my head and written down. So if someone says, oh, this is stupid, I look at that list of accomplishments and I say, yeah, not so much. Wow. Eugenia, thank you so much for sharing that. And, and I also just want to say you, the point that you started off about, you know, coming from a relationship like that, the fact that you had the courage to walk away. I think you're one of the bravest people out there. And that's what people need to understand. And I know we're digressing a little bit, but no one needs to stay in any situation. They're bigger, they're better, and there's more out there for them than that situation that they find themselves in. So from my, I mean, I actually, I welled up a little bit when you shared that because it, it's, it's absolutely amazing. I think you're an amazing person for what you've achieved, where you are in your life, for what you're standing for. And thank you for being on our show. It's really been lovely talking to you. Thank you for inviting me. And 
just finish on one note because we started with my mom and your point, Dion, brought a phrase that my mom used to say, you deserve better. Absolutely. Thank you, Eugenia. Year One is hosted by Dion Kloppers and Satish Bala and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It is engineered by Bluemex. For more Year One content subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bluemex.io to join us on Discord.